looking at. This episode of Polytrex is sponsored by Fansets. Uh, use discount code Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S, to get a really nice fancy discount on your next order on fansets.com. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ, Namaste Homo Sapiens, welcome to this new episode of Polytrex. In this episode, we'll be breaking down some more diseases in the world of Polytrex, uh, or sorry, in the world of Star Trek. I haven't done this in a while, so there is going to be a lot of me saying, I'm sorry I said something stupid. So <laughs> strap in, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I haven't done this at all. <laughs> the delightful voice you just heard is of Che. He is... <laughs> One of my dear friends, and he's really, uh, I don't know, Che, just introduce yourself. Sorry to put you on the spot, but that's what a lot of podcasting is about. Uh, I'm, I'm Che. I've been a, a Star Trek fan. Uh, well, my, mom, my mom's been a Star Trek fan since before I was born. She wanted to name me Jezea. Uh, that's a fun fact. She wanted to name me Jezea. Uh and when, when I came out as trans, she said, God damn it, if I just named you Jedzea, I would have made you name your change your name to Curzon. But uh my my mom took me to the uh D Space Nine documentary to get me out of the house. And so I started watching D Space Nine after watching the documentary, and I've just been sucked into the world of Star Trek since. The documentary you're referring to, of course, is What We Left Behind, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Che has not told everyone a lot about himself, but he's super smart. He's very talented. He has a lot of artistic skills. He is, plays in a band. He plays the piano. He taught me the opening notes of Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance, which is still a cool party trick I used to this day. Anyway, I'm really glad to have... Sorry, go ahead, how many people scream when you hit that Gino? Just wondering. I wish there were more people screaming. It's mostly people asking me, what is that? Which bums me out. And then I'm sad for the rest of the night. That bums me out too. Uh, anyway, today we'll be talking about a few episodes that uh, have gone deeper into the world of diseases, sickness, uh, medicine in general in Star Trek. Of course, we are still under the black cloud of COVID-19 everywhere around the world. And more people are getting vaccinated. I believe I learned recently that 75% of all adults in the US have received at least one dose of the vaccine, which is good news. So it's not maximum warp, but hey, warp five is better than no warp. You know, I will take it. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk about some diseases, uh, some very familiar, some not so familiar, just across Star Trek. Now, today's episodes have been picked by Dioche. I think we'll only have time to discuss four, but when we get to the fifth one, if we have time, we'll get there too. Uh, now, Che is such a big Star Trek fan, he didn't have to make any notes. 
So he already knows all these episodes very well. I, on the other hand, I'm becoming an old man. So I have to start making notes and make sure I remember names and locations. But before we get started, uh, Che, tell us a little more about your Trek fandom. What do you like about Trek? What do you not like about Trek? And so on and so forth. Well, what I what I love about Trek is the uh, the characters. I just I very rarely hate a character, except Neelix. Uh, but uh, I like the characters, and I I like the uh, the political commentaries that Star Trek makes a lot. That's uh, one of my very first memories of Star Trek was watching the Exostigma uh, from Enterprise. Uh, so uh, what I what I don't like about Star Trek, uh, that's it's a hard one to pick what I don't like about it. Uh, I guess what I don't like about Star Trek is uh, I guess sometimes it can be a little cheesy <laughs> and that makes it really hard to show my friends because they're so used to serious serialized television that if I were to show them threshold, uh, they wouldn't get why I laugh at it. But in fairness to Star Trek, if you showed them uh, you know, let that be your last battlefield, which is the original series episode where you have two aliens with one side black yeah. and one side. I mean, that's still. I've, I've never seen the episode, but I know the uh, the premise. But yeah. uh, now I won't reveal Che's age, but Che was born in this millennium. So things that came out of track in the 90s will, of course, be pretty cheesy for uh, Che. But as a 90s man. Jay, let me tell you, we enjoy the cheesiness. We I, I do. I do enjoy the cheesiness. I'm just worried my friends won't. Because once again, I, I grew up with Star Trek. I grew up with my mom watching Star Trek. My friends did not grow up with their parents watching Star Trek. So. Hey, that's fair. Everybody is welcome to like what they like. You mm-hmm. just happen to like the best TV show on the planet. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? <laughs> Okay. Now, Che, uh, you told us that you began getting into the world of Star Trek with Deep Space Nine. So it's appropriate yeah. that we start with discussion about the Deep Space Nine episode, Babel. Now, yeah. You wanted to talk about the aphasia virus in Babel, which yeah. is a really interesting topic. As soon as I saw that episode, so many parallels to our world today. You know, it's... it's I've rewatched Deep Space Nine three times during this quarantine, uh, fully, uh, all seven seasons, three times throughout this quarantine. And every single time that episode comes up, I forget. And then I watch it and then I go, oh man, I keep forgetting that this episode's so topical. I uh, Would you like to summarize the episode? Well... Well, it, it's kind of hard to like summarize it by order of events, but uh, basically what happens is that uh, Chief O'Brien 
uh, starts feeling ill and starts speaking basically gibberish. Uh, and uh, Dr. Bashir says that it's mimicking uh, aphasia. Uh, but he didn't have any of the uh, requirements to meet the actual diagnosis. And then throughout the station, everyone keeps getting this virus. And then they figure out that it was put into the replicators by the Bajoran to uh, uh, mess with the uh, Cardassians when they had occupation of Herbajor. But now they no longer have occupation. Deep Space Nine belongs to the Federation. And now the Federation is getting that virus they put into the replicators. And the, the station goes on shutdown. Uh, everyone has to be in their ships. No businesses can be open. And everyone is kind of uh, sectioned off into different uh, parts of the station. You hustled me, Che. You said it would be hard to give a summary, and then you gave a great summary of the episode. <laughs> a summary by order of events. You did great. <laughs> that was perfect. So that's what Babel is about. Uh, I believe it's the fourth episode of the first season. I could be wrong on that, but I'm going to make sure I remember those numbers. Yeah, it's the fir- it's the f- it's in the first season. And yeah. what really struck me is how prophetic the episode is because it kind of really plays out how COVID played out on high notes. You know, first it starts with people, you know, getting the disease and then everybody's wondering what's happening and we don't know. And then you have people being forced to quarantine, but of course Quark does not want to quarantine. So he has decided that his bar is essential service, (laughs) which is just, again, there are so many parallels. Uh, and then during this time, they're trying to figure out, hey, did the Cardassians build this virus? Or did the Bajorans build this virus? Where did it come from? It's from technology that belongs to Cardassians, but some people think it's Bajoran. The doctor thinks it's yeah. Bajoran. The, begin- the doctor yeah. runs like this test to see that like it, it's Bajoran in origin. Uh, it's, it's a virus made by Bajorans. Uh, and then they they figure out that it was uh, made by the Bajoran resistance uh, to knock down Cardassia on Terak Nor. Yeah. And what's interesting is, I'm sure you've heard about where the COVID-19 virus could have possibly originated, but all signs point to there is a there is an institute in Wuhan called the Institute of Virology. And apparently they have a COVID-19 section. And the prevailing theory, at least according to the US government right now, is that that's where it was released or it was accidentally released. Now, whether it was an accident, it's all still being figured out, but you can see how, just like in the episode, things are playing out in the real world where people are like, no, it's not the Chinese people or... It's the evil Chinese people, and then the U.S. government is is just it's going back and forth. But I thought that just that complexity was pretty interesting to me. Uh, I also really not it's not liked, but I I found it very interesting that the virus is aphasic 
or aphasia, aphasic, however you say it, the fact that it hits that sense to where you don't know how to communicate with each other. That, because, you know, that was that was smart on the Bajorans because the Cardassians can figure it out. Yeah. Because the other Cardassians would be saying gibberish trying to explain what's going on. And that's a key to knocking out like any kind of a military operation. Like if you if you figure out how to knock off their communications, yeah. it's a smart way to cripple them, right? Like to weaken them in a way that they can't continue to function. Uh, I don't know how much you know about World War One or what we now call the Great War. That's when chemical weapons were used uh, for the first time on that large scale. And people would have things. I, I'm sure you've seen images of people wearing gas masks. Uh, and that's where that started is because they would use those kinds of chemical weapons to blind people, to make them lose their... Uh, to to make them stop breathing, to to essentially suffocate them. So it's always been a strategy across history to use this kind of, hey, let's break down their senses so they can't function properly. And I found it very interesting that they used communication in this weapon uh, in in this episode. Uh, now I need to talk a little bit about quark. Do you think quark is an anti-vaxxer? Before I say oh, that, most definitely. He is an anti-vaxxer and an anti-masker. And he... so I, I made a dumb post of artwork of a 21st century Star Trek where I take all these Star Trek characters, put them in a 21st century. Some people on Tumblr helped me out with it and my mom helped me out with it. Uh, and it was ba- basically in that artwork, Bashir and Quark are fighting. Because Bashir is like, just take the vaccine and wear a mask. And Quark's like, I don't want to. Because he is, he, throughout the episode, he does not want people to stay at home, quarantine. Yeah. He, he, it's bad for profit. Mm-hmm. Disease is bad for profit. That should be a, a rule type position. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the rules of acquisition is peace is great for profit and war and, is great for profit. Yeah. So I'm sure in this case, he's like, oh yeah, this is bad, but it's great for profit. I need to keep it running. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately he ends and, up helping out. You know, he, he, yeah, he, he, he does help out with his, uh, seeing the, uh, seeing someone use a transporter. So, he's never actually used one, but he's witnessed it enough <laughs> that he feels like he can. But he doesn't tell Odo about only witnessing it until he's already on the transporter pad. I mean, it's the best way to do it. I mean, think about it. The worst case something happens to Odo, he is, it's good for his profit because he won't have Odo breathing down his neck. <laughs> yeah, and then the, uh, the guy that kept trying to leave the station... Uh, because he had like cargo that he needed to get to another place uh, outside of the Space Nine. And they're like, no, you can't leave. We need to keep this place under quarantine, make sure that the virus doesn't spread outside of the Space Nine. And he's like, no, I need to get this, uh, these supplies to this other place. Uh, and he, he keeps leaving this ship, even though they keep telling him to stay in the ship. Yeah, I believe his name was Jahil. 
Yeah. But no, he, he I believe he would also be an anti-masker, anti-vaxxer. Uh, but it's, it's just such a good, I love the pick. It's a great episode that he picked. And uh, it, more than anything, it tells us just how many people, how many people's inconveniences matter to them over getting the population healthy. You know, if the, if it was left to Quark, he would, you would just never get any of them tested, never get any of them ma- masked if they needed masks. I don't know if masks would have helped in a situation like that, but yeah. Well, it, was- did, it did, uh, it did transform into an airborne virus. Yeah, I remember that happened. So I bet a mask would have helped, you know, or yeah, whatever their problem. version would have of a mask would have been. But yeah. I bet you Cisco probably wouldn't have gotten it if you wore a mask. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. he, he didn't eat anything from the fixed replicators because like they figured it out before he used the fixed replicators. And so if he just wore a mask, he probably wouldn't have gotten the virus. That is true. Hey, any final thoughts on Babel before we move on to another episode? Just that, uh, thankfully, Odo didn't have a brain that the virus could infect. He was the only one that was absolutely safe. Well, do we know if Quark's immunity system would have saved him? I mean, he probably would have cracked at some point. The immune system can't fight off something forever. So if like it lasted like even just like a month longer, you probably would have. That is true. Now, uh, the next episode that we're going to talk about is Stigma from Enterprise, which you've shared that you have a very special connection with Stigma. Now, before you tell us more about Stigma, how do you like Enterprise? Uh, When did you see Enterprise? How, what what do you think about the show? My mom loves Enterprise. That is her favorite Star Trek of like all time. And so she really built it up for me when it came to me watching it. And I enjoyed watching it while I was just in the room while she was watching it. I I did enjoy it. And then I, I watched it in full. And I loved seasons one and two. Those, those were great. And then I, I sort of lost interest in season three. Season three, uh, I enjoyed it still, but like I wasn't the biggest fan of it. There were some characters that made it definitely worthwhile. uh, And there were some plot lines I did enjoy. But then season four, I hated it. I only enjoyed one good episode in season four, and it was Observer Effect. Uh, But yeah, other than that, I spent the entirety of season four just waiting out the episode until the end. What did you think of the ending? Oh, bad. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. I don't think anyone likes that ending. Uh, Yeah. Uh, People still heckle Brandon Braga every time he's at Star Trek Las Vegas, for sure. They also heckle him about Threshold, so... That's two two terrible ideas for sure. 
Yeah, but he's like a writer on a lot of episodes. So like those two episodes, I don't think that makes him a bad writer. He just wrote two bad episodes. Hey, I mean, he wrote a ton of episodes of TNG and DS9, and he also wrote First Contact with, uh, oh my God, my I'm I'm forgetting his name, but uh, Ron something, the guy who co-created Battlestar Galactica, Ronald Moore. There we go. So he is, you know, he's contributed a lot of good things to Star Trek too, but both of those are really bad. Anyway, Che, please, for the benefit of our listeners and me, can you summarize Stigma? Well, to summarize Stigma, I have to also mention something that happened in season one of Enterprise, where they found a ship of Vulcans that don't follow traditional Vulcan standards. They like to be in touch with their emotions. They like to eat what's given to them. They... uh, they're, they like to share emotions and they can do mind melts, which uh, any Vulcan can do with training. But in Enterprise's time, they believe that only these Vulcans can do mind melts. Uh, so uh, T'Pol does, like, agrees to do a mind melt with this with one of the other Vulcans on the, on, that they run into. And, uh, but like halfway through it, she starts feeling uncomfortable. And so she wants it to stop, and he doesn't. And what happens is that when a uh, mind meld is conducted improperly by someone who has been trained to do so, it, uh, it transmits the Pongfar, not the pun, the not the Pinar syndrome, uh, which is a uh, disease that could slowly kill a Vulcan. And because, and then we get into stigma where T'Pol has Pinar syndrome and the doc, Dr. Fox is trying to get a cure from the Vulcan high command. And, but because they believe that Pinar syndrome can only affect a certain kind of Vulcan that they don't approve of, they aren't working for a cure because they don't want to help these Vulcans. Uh, and that's basically the plot of Stigma. There is also a B story about Flox's second wife being yeah, on the engineer. Hey, on, uh, Mr. Tucker. Yeah, but that's that's not really what we're here to talk about. It's this well, no, that is house, a, I guess. Yeah, that is a good B plot <laughs> <laughs> where where they're like where the Tucker's like and where trips like. Dr. Fox, your wife is hitting on me. And he's like, oh, that's great. Hey, before we move on from that, though, I will say, I'm sure when the episode came out, it was such a radical idea. Yeah, it probably, it probably was radical to have, like, polyamory just be, like, a normal in an alien uh, world. They probably couldn't do it with a human yet Mm -hmm. that probably would have been like too radical at the time but like it was still like probably like very like it's it's still very radical to do that because not a lot of shows do that 
I do think the the stigma, no pun intended, around it is getting better because people are yeah, getting, it definitely is uh, more ex. People have become more accepting, or it's not even just people, but the uh, the rate of open marriages and open relationships has just gotten so big or so significant that now it's just oh, I mean, I guess they're in an open marriage, right? Like that's their business, but. Uh, yeah, that was a good B plot. Played kind of for laughs, but not really. I don't know what they were trying to do with that one. But mm. hey, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Tapal. Do mm. you think now Tapal is a Vulcan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't feel emotions, but I feel like, or they choose not to feel emotions. Right? Is a yeah, very very good. Yeah, they. Tuvok in Voyager talks about how Vulcans do feel emotions. They just have control on how they act out on them. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of just not even that uh, emotion comes into it. But I've, I do wonder, how do you think Vulcans process getting a terminal disease? Do you think they have, are you familiar with the four stages of grief? Mm-hmm. Do you think they have something like that or do they just accept it and move on like it's, you know, hey, this is something that happens? Most most of the time they probably just accept it and move on. Uh, and if, but like they probably do still work for a cure of diseases because that's the logical uh, conclusion to make to uh, work to find a cure for it so that logically people don't have to die. But they probably still accept it. It probably depends on the illness. If the illness affects their way of handling emotion, like Pinar syndrome, uh, they probably would like handle it with the like expressing the four stages of grief. Yeah. So I guess in their civilization, it would more just be acceptance. That would be the one stage of grief is just whatever time it takes for them to come to acceptance and then just move on to living their life. And I know there are, uh, there are different kinds of people that do things like that around the world too. Uh, I can, I guess I can see the benefits of being that way. If you are somebody who chooses to be that way, but I also think it's important as a human being. So I, if Archer had gotten it, I think it would have import, been important for him to process it you know, and I see him go through those stages, but I can, I, I can see where Paul is coming from. Uh, we, we have seen similar situations with Balkans having things like that, uh, but we've really not seen it at this stage where they have this terminal illness and they have, we see them process that. That's pretty interesting. Now, are you familiar with the word undesirable and how it's, it's been used in our real world and diseases? Do you have any any familiarity to that, Che? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've had. Can't think of specific situations, though. Sure. Well, in a couple of decades before you were born, in the 80s, uh, the yeah. AIDS epidemic was really uh-huh. big. And it was, uh, it was just starting to get into the public consciousness. And people are learning more and more about AIDS. But the first reaction that a lot of countries... And a lot of people had was these people are undesirable, you know, they're untouchable. And uh, so there are some uh, uh, parallels between that to the Panar syndrome. And not only that, like not only is it like the people that get this are undesirable, it's the people 
that they believe can only they only get this like the people like they a lot for a long time and even still today people think that only gay men can get aids yes like, uh, i i'm going to reference the musical rent rent did a very good job at trying to spread awareness about the AIDS epidemic, and so did the musical Falsettos. Falsettos was written during the AIDS epidemic, and Rent was written after, so and they handle it very differently. Uh, Rent follows the, uh, the homeless, how they're more susceptible to any diseases, but especially AIDS uh, during the 80s, how they had poor living conditions in New York, and they didn't have access to uh, safe sex, and they didn't have access to hospitals, and most of them were also gay, being kicked out of the house or being jobless. Uh, and Rent handled the un unprivileged aspect of how the AIDS epidemic hit the homeless population, but falsettos was written during the AIDS epidemic. The first act was written before news got out about the, the disease. And then act two was written while it was like on the rise. And so that gave them a very unique way of telling the story of someone that gets AIDS. And falsettos follows a rich family that's very privileged, and very much ignoring the outside world. They believe that they're the center of the earth because they're they they're kind they kind of are in America. The the rich pretty much are the center of the world here. And so they ignore the outside world and ignore what's going on out there until uh, until one of them gets AIDS and then they realize, oh. This isn't just attacking a specific kind of people. This can affect anyone and everyone. And that's also what happens the stigma on enterprise is that they believe that only uh, these kind of Vulcans can get Panar syndrome. But DePaul isn't one of those Vulcans. And, uh, and she doesn't want to tell them that she was forced to mind melt because she thinks that that would push the stigma against them, that that would make the high command have more reason to villainize these people. And it's, yeah. No, that was, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah, that was a lot of good information. I have not seen Rent or Falsettos, but now that I know this, I will at least try to get like a Cliff Notes version and learn more about them. And I'm sure there are a bunch of our listeners who don't know what those are. So I really recommend people watch Falsettos. It's my favorite musical of all time. That's great. I, hey, I will definitely check it out. My favorite musical of all time is Phantom of the Opera. Not that anybody asked, but <laughs> it's about an ugly man who can't get love. That's my life story right there. Yeah. Another one of my favorite musicals is Emo the Musical, which is on Netflix. And it's really good. <laughs> and I made it my life mission to show everyone that movie. Uh, what what is it called? Emo the musical. Emo the musical. Okay, listeners, make sure to check that out. Polytrek is 
but no, the, you did a really good job of uh, touching on a lot of points I wanted to talk about. Yeah, you're right. Anybody can get Panard syndrome, any Vulcan, uh, just like anybody can get diseases like AIDS, which is sounds uh, like all illogical to a civilization that has always had diseases. I mean, we've had diseases since we could record time and what it was like living as a human being. Uh, now, m- before AIDS, there were diseases like leprosy that a lot of people considered to be people by to be uh, affecting people who were undesirable or lepers would eventually be termed as undesirables. Uh, of course, the Bible has a famous reference where Jesus goes and heals a leper. Uh, so many people know diseases like that from a connection like that. Uh, well, my own personal connection to something like that is in India, there is a class system in our population. So if you live in a certain neighborhood or you make a certain amount of wage, there are people who sadly are called untouchables. And it used to be a big uh part of our population as well, that kind of stigma. And it took us some time. It's not that way today, but 20 years ago, it was very much a part of, hey, don't touch that person, you know, because they are what we call untouchable because of where they were born or what kind of family they were born into. So this kind of uh, social uh, or, or almost tolerated movement of rejecting certain kinds of people has has always sadly been a part of many civilizations across time. And it's unfortunate that even people who consider themselves to be logical do have these kinds of prejudices. I, I remember I, I my mom was watching the episode Stigma in, in our living room, and I was in the room with her, and there was one little piece of dialogue, and I went, that's about the... AIDS epidemic, isn't it? This is about AIDS. And my mom looked at me and went, how did you figure that out? You never figure this stuff out. So yeah, I I sort of like immediately knew what they were trying to talk about with stigma. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a great episode and it really breaks down the nuance of getting a disease, something that's especially un uh, like uncurable at the time. Uh, now, I, I did also find the concept of a mind meld being compared to, you know, which we've known like about the Vulcans, if we've seen uh, other episodes and movies that it's almost like sex for them. Uh, and I mean, them doing this is like sex for them. Yeah. And for, <laughs> for those not watching, Che just touched the two fingers of either of his hands. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I remember in Voyager, when Chewbacca uh, and his wife did that, I shouted at the screen, PDA! <laughs> uh, but yeah, that I, I did enjoy that, uh, learning more about that and understanding that better. Of course, in the last few years, we've also learned a lot more about sexual abuse and sexual harassment. Uh, sadly, it took a bunch of famous people coming out to talk about it for us to learn about it uh, but that's and so, because of because of the AIDS epidemic we got a lot of schools got better at teaching sex ed uh, and teaching safe sex and condoms became free so that even people that aren't as 
privileged as others can go out and get condoms because it did affect the homeless population a lot because they couldn't afford condoms. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, I think it's still a work in progress. Uh, I think there's a lot more work to be done with sex ed yeah, in general around the world. Because, uh, yeah. uh, especially I, as we, we become a more LGBTQ plus or we attempt to become a more LGBTQ plus friendly world. We should just talk about this more and uh, let more. A people lot of people it. still believe that never teaching kids about sex will make them not have sex. It's, Can you imagine if like driver's ed didn't teach people how to use seatbelts because that would encourage people to not wear seatbelts? <laughs> uh. Oh man. Che, I am so glad I have you on this podcast today. <laughs> no, that is true. And I don't know why it is that way. I, I wish as somebody who's older than you had an explanation for it to help you understand it. But I had those questions when I was growing up and my adults didn't know about it either. You know, it's just one of those things I, that. I was thankful to have cool parents that would like teach me about things if I asked them. And uh, so I didn't really have to rely on school sex education. Plus, my parents are very thankful that I don't plan on having sex ever. And so they're all like, great, we don't have to deal with anything. Uh, yeah. So, uh, listeners, Chase, since you've shared that, is it okay for me to say that you're, you identify as asexual? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a new, it's not new, it's always been there. It's getting it's, new for it's more people. A, it's been a term for sexuality since the 80s. Uh, but, like, because of the world becoming more LGBTQ friendly and because of the internet, more people have been able to find identities and give names to feelings they've been having and share them around so that people can go like, oh, so it has a name now. I can now know that my feelings aren't that abnormal. And uh, it it was important for me to figure out uh, that the identity of asexuality exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing that I think we have to make an effort to learn more about, because unless we know someone who knows someone that is, you know, asexual, there isn't really a pop culture thing yet that we can learn more yeah, about. To identify I, with. It's sad. I can only name like three representations of asexuality, and that is the Archie comics, uh, Bojack Horseman, and Sex Education. Wait, is Bojack asexual? No, no, Todd. Todd oh, okay. is it. Okay. Uh, see, Bojack I didn't know not, that. He's definitely not. Yeah. I, I didn't even know that. And I think I saw the show at least once or twice. But he talks about it in the show like multiple times. Yeah. And that's that's what I thought was good about that show. Was that it wasn't a, it wasn't dancing around the issue of sexuality. And I mean Bojack doesn't dance around any issues. Star Trek doesn't dance around any issues either. Exactly. Star Trek had... I like both uh, of those shows so much. They don't dance around issues. They confront it head on. Yeah, and Star Trek had one of the first, or the first interracial case at a time when... It it wasn't the first. It was just one of the first. It was the first in mainstream culture. Yeah. Like, it was the first that was, like, on... Like, you could just... It was the first in 
mainstream culture. I believe there was like one before TOS, but it wasn't like a well-known show or movie. And so no one really paid attention to it. Well, I'll tell you, TOS was being watched by my parents in India. So that's how popular TOS was. And this was in the late 60s, early 70s, when, you know, we didn't even, that was when we were starting to even understand what a TV was. So that's how popular it was. And my mom and dad still remember seeing that episode. And that's one of the things they remember is that, oh my God, that's a white man kissing a black woman. And today, you know, we are in a world where... And Star Trek also had one of the first uh, woman and woman kisses. Yes. uh, Along with uh, Buffy was also like a main... Buffy and Deep Space Nine were some of the first mainstream media that tackled... uh, uh, I don't want to say lesbians because neither of them were lesbians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tara from Buffy was lesbian, but Willow was bi. And Gazea uh, doesn't really label her sexuality. And that's okay too. Nobody yeah. needs to put a label on. Uh, she's just or- attracted to what she's attracted to. And if yeah. that's a woman, man, non-binary individual, androgynous creatures, as Odo said... Uh, one of the things coming back to stigma that I found interesting was that Tapal decides not to reveal that she was violated. Uh, for lack of a better term, she was raped. You know, it happened against her will. Uh, and she chooses not to reveal that because she does not uh, want to build on the stigma against those people, even though it would help her get out of the trouble she is in. It's such a, it's such a complex situation, like, yeah. like somebody who is raped and ends up being pregnant, you know, in our world today, it's, there is so much that you have to dig through that to, yeah. or even somebody who's raped, who does not want to discuss it, even yeah. though it might be something that might help them. Uh, like if they're in a situation at work and they need to get rid of the, the rapist, just, there are so many I, I like that that was part of the episode. And she never reveals it. It's revealed yeah. against her will too. Uh, because the guy she reveals it to and promises not to say anything is the one who just says it out loud. Yeah. And like he was, he is one of those Vulcans. Yeah. That, and he, he did it to save her, but then he got like fired. Yeah. He, they they didn't allow him to work with them anymore, and so he he risked his job uh, to help to Paul, mm-hmm. and he 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 probably thought that that would get rid of the stigma. He would be like, "I'll help this person that was raped, and hopefully they'll see that we're not all like bad people." And but it didn't work he was still uh kicked out and fired yeah and we learned that with me too almost 20 years after this episode came out that people who came out and talked about them being abused didn't really get any fame or movie roles or money if anything they had job roles rejected for them and are now either jobless or trying to get their own thing going because there isn't fame or something really promising at the end of coming out and uh, talking about being abused. 
uh, or talking about things like having a disease, like it's just, again, another example of Star Trek's prophetic skills, you know, the way to predict the future while being a show in the future. Because it's, 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 it's great, man. Hey, any final thoughts before we move on to another episode? No. How's your cat doing? She's crying. She's crying? <laughs> it's all the serious talk we've been having. <laughs> uh, okay, next we'll move on to the quickening or quickening, which refers to the quickening in the episode Quickening Deep Space Nine, from Deep Space Nine. It's, it's called quickening. The Blight and it's called The Quickening. Yeah. It basically has two names, which is realistic for, like a lot of the time Star Trek handles diseases by calling them one name. When like a lot of the times they'll, we'll call like diseases by like two names probably. Yeah, like COVID-19, coronavirus. Rona. Yeah. Rona, yeah. We we call COVID-19 a lot of different names depending on like who you are. So they call it the quickening and the blight. The blight is the scientific name and the quickening is just kind of what they call it because it quickens. Yeah. They quicken. Yeah. And... Uh, it was, it was, that's, it's a good episode and it almost makes me cry every time. It's a, it's a great episode and it's a really good Bashir episode. It's a really good Bashir episode. One of the things I enjoy about Star Trek is when they take a character and they just follow that through with an episode, you can almost never put another character in that place to make that episode happen. Uh, those are those are like face of the enemy for example do you remember that episode from the next generation uh face uh, of yeah. the enemy in is is one in which troy wakes up and she has been surgically altered to look like a romulan right yeah that one uh like over the episode you begin the episode and you're like why is troy doing that like why is troy the one chosen and then by the end of the episode you're like oh my god nobody else but troy could have done that they do that stuff and they do it really well uh anyway Che, can you summarize Quickening from the Quickening in the Deep Space it's nine episode Quickening for us? Uh, the Quickening is uh, an episode where they, uh, where Jadzea, Bashir, and Kira get a distress signal from a planet, and so they come down to the planet, and there's and the entire population of the planet is sick with something, and. This woman runs over to them saying that she needs to go to the, the hospital. And so they take her there. And what happens at in the hospital is that they don't actually cure the blight because there is no cure. They just find a way to let them die peacefully instead of like how the blight kills them, which is very painful. They allow people to have one special day with their loved ones with a good dinner, a a good place to sleep, and poison to drink. And uh, so that the blight doesn't kill them and they can spend their last days happy and not dying in a horrible, painful way. And Bashir takes it upon himself to make a cure for this blight. And this pregnant woman uh, volunteers to be like his main helper because she really wants 
her baby to live. And she wants to live to see her baby. And that's her motivation. She wants to live to see her baby grow up. And he fails at making a cure the first time. And uh, Kira and Jetzea leave the D Space Nine while Bashir stays back down on the planet to finalize a, a cure. And he keeps giving the woman the cure, but nothing seems to be working. And then she finally gives birth to the baby, and the baby has no traces of the blight. And what happened is that the, the antigen was all absorbed through the placenta into the baby. And so the baby uh, survives and she gets to see that he will live and that he, and to hold him before she dies. And so Bashir tells uh, everyone to give all the pregnant women this, <laughs> this antigen uh, uh, so that their children will have the blight. Hey, great summary. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, one little plot element that you missed is that Bashir goes out into the street, literally just walks into the street during his attempt to find a cure and says, hey, I'll cure. I'll, I'm not promising anything, but I have something that will help you out. And it starts to look promising, but of course, everybody he helps out ends up dying. Yeah, so it's, that, it was his instruments. They mutate, they helped mutate the virus. Yeah. an illness so that it could like outstand the antigen. And he goes back uh, to the ship and he says, no, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go back there and continue to do this. Georgia stays back. And this time he, my, my assumption is he goes back to the old way of doing medicine by not using any instruments. But I, I think that was the point of having the test tube and the burner and the chemicals yeah. is, he goes back to the old way of doing it. And that's, and he only works at that point with the, uh, I believe her name is Nicoria, the pregnant woman. And another great Bashir episode uh, of so many Bashir episodes. My, um, my mom was watching it with me and she said that she really likes the episode because it knocked Bashir's arrogance down. Mm -hmm. Like that was the episode where like he, couldn't solve the problem immediately like he does all the other times mm -hmm. and so he, his arrogance was like knocked down a lot yeah uh, are you familiar with the god complex yeah and the doctors are they tend to have god complexes mm -hmm. and that's part of i think the episode is to showcase you know that bashir's god complex even though he he's hiding it very well right but his like at one point he says, oh, I was looking forward to going on the ship and just telling Kira, I just cured this quickening blight thing and I came back, you know. Uh, and then I love that Jajia just slaps him in the face with like, it's really arrogant that you think just because you couldn't cure it, there isn't a cure for it. And I think at that point he takes himself out of the equation and then. And, oh, it, it hurt. That episode hurt. Uh, a lot, but uh, I feel like a lot of Bashir's arrogance comes from his uh, enhanced background, where like 
he probably is arrogant because he's smarter than everyone else scientifically. Mm-hmm. And when he couldn't figure out how to do this, uh, how to cure this illness, he probably just thought, oh, I guess the enhancements didn't make me better than everyone else. But another thing that hurt was that uh, he talks in the episode about how about his first patient, uh, which was uh, uh, his teddy bear. Uh, I believe it's Kukalaka. <laughs> yeah, Kukalaka or something. Uh, he, his teddy bear, that uh, his, the teddy bear's leg got ripped off and he like attached the leg again. And because like, uh, he was like, but everyone has to die eventually. And he's like, not Kukulaka, my first patient. <laughs> but he says that he fixed Kukulaka when he was five. But Bashir got genetically enhanced when he was six. And his parents enhanced him because they didn't think that he was good enough. But he managed to like fix together a stuffed animal. He had like, he already had this talent for fixing things, they just didn't think he was good enough. And that that also hurt a lot. Well, I, I really enjoyed the episode throughout. It was a great, well-told story. Uh, now, to me, it felt like there were similarities to, do you know what the Black Plague is? Never learned about it, but I've heard the name. Uh, well, in the early, in the late 14th and early 15th century, over half of Europe's pop- population was uh, wiped out because of a plague. And the plague was very much like the plague that we see in uh, quickening. It's, it's much like the Blythe. It's something that just took over the people and it was spreading rampantly and people had no idea where it was coming from, what it was doing, how people are dying, except you could tell people were getting sick. You could see the evidence of sickness and on their face, on their skin. And uh, eventually, and the, the cure was, people figured out it was being caused by rats and creatures that were carrying it out is also called the bubonic plague, but it's just, it's difficult to summarize it in one episode, really, because a lot of it happened like over years. And uh, getting to a cure for it was also similar to like you have to move to a clean environment. And there wasn't really a vaccine as much as there was, you know, we need to start healing by uh, being cleaner. That was part of it. You need to be cleaner. You need to uh, live in an environment that's free of rats and free of these creatures that are carrying this disease. But I felt a lot of similarities to what was going on with the Black Plague. Uh, And again, skin diseases, like we talked about with, uh, 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 with the previous episode. And that just seems to be almost like a Uh, I guess it's because it's television, it's easier to show something on the skin and it makes it more of an impact Uh, because we find out in another episode, we'll talk about scientific method. People keep getting, Neelix especially gets a skin disease that just makes it. Neelix is transforming into a different species. 
Oh, but but again, it's just something that's on the skin that you can see and changes, right? Um, it, it, I guess it's because it's a television thing. It's easier to make it more visual. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I really enjoyed about the episode is uh, the character of Nicoria. I think she, her, like you said, her motivation was sometimes when you just make a woman's story about, oh, she wants to find love or she wants to have a baby. Those kind of don't, they get played out and they're, they're not really respectful of the female gender. But in a situation like this, I felt like a for a character like that, it worked. Uh, I feel like it, it worked better because it was also like a point of like survival. Like she, she wanted her and her baby to survive. She mostly wanted her baby to survive and she died before she gave birth. The baby would never live. Her motivation was to at least live long enough for her baby to live. Yeah, and, and she, she succeeded. And toward the end of the episode, she gets the choice of, hey, can I, uh, when the doctor comes over, Traven comes over, or Travian comes over and he says, this is just, not going to end well. Do you want me to just end it so your baby and you can just pass away peacefully? And she rejects it because she believes that Bashir will get to a cure. And I, I really, and that's what ends up being the catalyst that ends up with them finding the cure, you know? And uh, I, I just, that's a, uh, it, it's story, it's really good storytelling because it's, and the end, they get to a cure, but it comes at great cost and that cost. You, you could see what it cost, especially for Nicoria. Uh, but the result was this baby. And that's the, uh, the it's just, it's good storytelling. They were just happy that their children would live. Yeah. They no longer cared about themselves. They just wanted their children to survive. And that's also part of uh, what was going on in the Black Plague, by the way. People were dying and they were trying to figure out how to save babies. Uh, so there was a big element of, hey, we need to first move all the babies out and help them find, uh, help them in an environment where they don't catch this plague anymore, you know? So a few similarities with that one. I also found that uh, there were a few people in the show or in the episode that almost like were worshiping the end. Like yeah. it, it was like they were, I was looking forward to my death and now you stopped mm -hmm. me from doing that. Like it's just, uh, are you familiar with Santa Muerte? Heard the name before. Okay, now this is just one example, but over history, there have been uh, many cults that worship death and they look forward to their death and they almost take it as, hey, this is a blessing. Uh, well, one is Santa Muerte, which is in a small town in Mexico, which is just run by gangs. And uh, there isn't really even a police presence there. It's just criminal gangs that run the town like it's a it's their own kingdom and there people who have been trapped in a cycle of drugs and prostitution and just sickness that comes from a life of that kind of life they have there is a church there and uh, in that church there isn't a, uh, a jesus or any other holy figure it's a skeleton and it's a skeleton wrapped in like holy clothes and that's Santa Muerte. And that's the saint of death or holy death. And this 
population that lives there, there is a group of people who just worship that death because all they look forward to is dying. And um, there have been tons of cults like that in the uh, in the millennia of history that we have, but that was one of the ones that you know people learned about recently. I think a year or so ago. But uh, hey, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the vaccine because it, now there is a vaccine uh, for the quickening as well as COVID nineteen. But the yeah. vaccine came at great cost too because. When you think about COVID-19, by the time we came to the vaccine, millions of people had already died. And I'm sure most of them would have liked to have taken the vaccine if they had the option. And today we live in a world where there is a vaccine. You can literally walk five minutes to a place and get a vaccine if you're an adult. Uh, most, most people anyway. And yet people don't want to take it. It's such a screwed up situation. At least think like with the with the blight, they probably were very thankful to have the vaccine, even if it would just help their children. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they they probably would have preferred. I mean, most of them probably did. There were probably some that still worshipped death. Definitely. Uh, that didn't want the vaccine. Because they, but like the show didn't really cover the aftermath of how it was cured. They just left. And then Bashir kept running or he still kept running tests. Because that's, again, kind of similar to once you get the vaccine, you get a Delta variant. So I'm sure once they developed the quickening vaccine, they had a Delta variant that they now have to keep working to get to. And that's why Travian is like, hey, will you teach me how to do this? Uh, I also found that they touched, they didn't go too deep into it, but the concept, do you know what euthanasia is? Uh, Euthanasia is, uh, it's a concept in medicine where if somebody is suffering from something that is so painful for them, uh, they can choose to end their life. And there are some countries where it is legal. uh, There are some countries where it isn't. But for example, a quadriplegic is uh, one of the, somebody who's a quadriplegic is a prime example of somebody who's, uh, who gets the option to take euthanasia because it, it's a quality of life that is so filled with pain uh, and it's incurable. So people get the option of, hey, would you like to, and it's all done with consent, uh, it's just such a tricky situation, but I think there are two different concepts of medicine in the episode where somebody like Bashir is determined to find a cure, even if it kills people, you know, and then there is Travian and his hospital where they just want to help people die peacefully. Uh, and it's so, it's such a, it's not a black and white answer, at least not in my opinion. Uh, like, is it wrong to say that there are merits to both? Like, unless you happen to have the one in a million chance of an alien coming onto your planet and saying, hey, I can find a cure. Like, what else is the answer, you know, for something like that? Yeah. Star Trek barely handles things in a black and white kind of uh, uh, way. 
and I guess that's also what I kind of liked about it is that uh, when it comes to like moral dilemmas, it never shows anyone as right or wrong, full stop. It shows how both of them could be wrong and both of them could be right. And then let's the audience decide which one was right or wrong. Yeah, and yeah. I I don't know. Uh, the, that's the the more I think about it, the more I can find good or bad in both. Because of course I don't want people to die, but I also don't know when a Bashir will show up with, like if if we had not found a cure to COVID nineteen and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, maybe five years down the line, I don't know that there might be people who would be like, hey, this is just, I would rather just end my life than keep going into the suffering of having to get into a ventilator. Uh, now, are you familiar with DNR, uh, the concept of DNR in medicine? No. Okay, a DNR uh, or do not resuscitate is, a, it's essentially a consent form that people have to sign when they go to a hospital and there is something so bad that is happening that they can choose to say, hey, do, if something happens and I'm about to die, do not resuscitate, which means do not put a ventilator. Uh, like this is a little graphic, but I don't know if you know exactly how a ventilator works. There's a pipe that goes down your throat, right? It's uh, to help you artificially breathe. And there are people who choose to not take that. Like if they lose their consciousness and they're about to pass, they, they'll just sign the DNR form and say, just let me pass because I would rather die than have something that severe happen to me, which is where a, a tube goes down my throat. And then now I'm artificially living because that is, it literally just helps you breathe. So your body can keep functioning. Uh, but, uh, and that was a big uh, part of the cures while we were getting to COVID-19's vaccine is there were lots of people who had to go on ventilators. And there are people who chose not to. And that's, you're right, like as a human being. So it, it does touch on some difficult concepts in curing and healing people. And that none of it has an easy answer. But that was a really good pick, uh, Che. Any final thoughts on quickening from the quickening in the Deep Space Nine episode, the quickening? No. Okay, before we move on, uh, now you told me you're a big fan of Deep Space Nine, so I wanted to tell you, if you're interested, Fansets this week dropped a Vic Fontaine pin. Now, do you like Vic Fontaine? Oh, I love Vic Fontaine. And they <laughs> dropped cool. a really cool pin of Vic Fontaine. He looks, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to show it to you, but there he is. That's a pin of him. Ah, yeah. And so their their goal is to eventually get to every Star Trek character that is at least is worthy of getting a pin. So even if they were in an episode for a few minutes, they'll their goal is to make a pin because somebody somewhere is their biggest can, fan. So this, can they can they make a, a one of Sue Call from Discovery so I can give it to uh, to Cam and Tyler? <laughs> Uh, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't, their catalog is so big, they might have made it, but I will find that out for you. And the seaweed monster that haunts him. Oh, uh, they do make a bunch of monster pins. Uh, uh, do you remember the TOS salt monster? 
I do not remember anything of TOS. I've only saw three episodes of that show. Okay, it's like just a big Yeti, but uh, it's like a big snow monster, but it has a face like uh, it's just it's a scary monster for sure. But they did make up enough of that. So I'm sure that if they haven't already, they will definitely work on it. But this week, Fansets is dropping a pin of Vic Fontaine. They're doing a Guinan pin, an Admiral Vance pin, uh, Burnham in season three's gray uniform. And they're currently doing a series called The Woman of Trek. Their goal is to get every female character or every prominent female character uh, a pin, and right, they dropped Savik's pin. Uh, so, do they have a Janeway? Oh, of course they have a Janeway. Okay, and I'll get that one so that my mom can keep hers, and I can also have a Janeway pin. Yeah, I, I'm sure they have like six Janeways. She's my number one favorite character of all oh. time. Oh, then you like our final episode discussion. But before we move oh, yeah. on to that one, uh, <laughs> these are the awesome pins that they're dropping this week. And they have, no joke, hundreds, probably thousands of Star Trek pins at this point. So if you don't like these, you have a ton more to pick from. You scored Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. I'm going to do that again. P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S, Polytrex, uh, for a discount at your checkout section on fansets.com. Fansets, our pins have characters. All right, Trey, for our final episode, uh, you picked Scientific Method, which is an awesome, awesome episode. I just forgot how awesome it was. Uh, The way I saw Voyager and Enterprise, I guess I was kind of so trekked out by the point uh, of having watched TNG, TOS, Deep Space Nine that I just watched Voyager. Like I remember the big moments, of course, like Seven being introduced in the finale and all that. Same with Enterprise. Uh, but the Voyager finale is the best series finale in all of Star Trek. I firmly believe that. So, uh, so by the time I I got into the end of Enterprise, I kind of just washed over uh, Voyager and uh, Enterprise. But now that I'm going back and watching more and more of the episodes just by themselves, I keep remembering how awesome each of them are. Especially when that when I take the time to just see two or three at a time. Uh, I can really process them and remember how good they are. Before we begin our discussion, I have a comment about scientific method. And if you'd like to send comments, you can do that uh, on at Polytrex on Twitter. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. But I have a comment from Ariane in New Mexico. She said, I definitely love the Janeway rant on scientific method and comparison to animal testing. Good stuff. Uh, Now, Che, you live in New Mexico, right? Are you familiar with this Rianne who lives in New Mexico? She's my mom. <laughs> Rianne is Chase's mom. Uh, I'm so glad you didn't say her name until I could get to this just so I could have that dad joke in there. But now, Che, can you summarize scientific method by Voyager? Or scientific, scientific method is the uh, an episode of Voyager uh, where everyone in the uh, Voyager crew starts experiencing weird things. Uh, Tom and Milana, their hormones like kind of bubble over and they're constantly getting caught in compromising positions together. Janeway has all these headaches and can't sleep. Uh, And then Dakotay takes like a sip of like coffee or something. And then he starts rapidly aging. Meanwhile, Neelix uh, 
slowly transforms into another species that's in his genes because like his great great uncle was one of these species or so and so uh the doctor uh starts uh figuring out that something weird is going on the when he gets too close, he gets shut off. So he calls Set into the holodeck where he pretends to be part of the program uh, so that whatever's going on won't catch him. And he gives Seven this uh, enhancement to her vision so that she could see things that might not, that the naked human eye probably couldn't. And so she goes around and finds these aliens around the ship that are invisible. Uh, running experiments on the Voyager crew. And Seven finds a way to make them visible. And so Janeway starts talking to the alien about why the alien is uh, running these tests. And she says that they're science, they're scientists, and they're running these uh, tests for uh, scientific experiments for uh, curing diseases. And uh, then they have to work on ways to get the aliens off their ship and away from them. And so Janeway flies her ship into two gas giants flying towards each other. And that gets rid of them. That was a great summary of the episode. Uh, it, it doesn't deal with a specific disease, but it deals with the concept of creatures, uh, sentient beings being experimented uh, without their knowledge or without their approval, uh, all in the name of science or research. You know, it's just uh, now Che, I, Rian, their their family. We're all vegans. Uh, mm-hmm. We um, and so we. We'll have a couple of uh, strong ep- opinions on animal testing, uh, yeah. which brace yourself for that, you know, because we are going to talk about it. But I, I mean, there have been episodes in the past in uh, Trek about things happening on the ship without people knowing it. And then eventually they find out that it's happening because somebody is in the orbit trying to do something to them. Tons of TNG episodes, a couple of TOS episodes. Yeah. There's a really good D Space Nine episode about that, but like they're that D Space Nine episode, they're adventurers like the Fed, like Starfleet. They're just adventurers trying to figure out yeah. uh, different uh, ways of life throughout the universe. But Voyager, uh, they aren't explorers, and like in all the other, uh, a lot of the other times. They're, they just reveal themselves as explorers. And then the Voyager just kind of gives them like this lesson and goes like, you can like explore and seek out new life without interfering and causing harm to them. That's like a lot of Voyager, TNG, Deep Space Nine, a lot of them like to handle that when like another alien uh, uh, kind of society goes exploring and finds them uh, when uh, when the when Starfleet's on the other end of the exploration uh, but Voyager they're not a, they're not adventurers they're not 
explorers. They're scientists. Uh, yeah, uh, they're also people just trying to get home. You know, they're not. Voyager, gonna, Voyager uh, is not meant to be there. Yeah, so. and in all the previous episodes, when the people that are doing these kinds of experiments or tests, when they're told, "Hey, this is wrong. You need to stop," they back off. But the aliens on this episode, they double down and they say, well, if you don't let us continue, we'll just kill you. Yeah. Uh, which prompts Janeway to do a very Kirk thing. Now, I don't know if you're a big Kirk fan, but... I'm Kirk, not a Kirk fan. Okay, but Kirk is a very, I don't believe in no-win scenarios guy. And his, uh, even in the Let That Be Your Last Battlefield episode, he will, he will just, if there is a way out... He will take it, but if there isn't, his answer is to destroy the ship or the planet or wherever it is on. And what Janeway does in this episode is a very Kirk move where she's like, oh yeah, if you don't stop, I will just kill us all and that will solve this problem. <laughs> uh, and then I, like the, the aliens leave too late to stop the Voyager from flying into the gas giant. So Voyager has to like zoom through them yeah. like as fast as they could. Uh, I, I, I also enjoy, I enjoy the Janeway looks in this episode. Like she has, she has. Kay Mulgrew was such a good actor. Like that she could like pull off the annoyed kind of mm-hmm. uh, ag- aggravated, agitated yeah. uh, headache. Uh, hasn't, hasn't slept in a week. Che, the, yeah. The, the, the mo- the look she gives when the alien is found by seven and put in the prison and she just she it's like as soon as she walks into that uh prison area you can tell she's ready to kill someone like she looks so badass uh, i do not want to get on janeway's bad side oh no i my dad doesn't want to get on janeway's bad side and my dad isn't even a star trek fan terrifying janeway is terrifying uh, now, speaking of experimentation, Che, are you familiar with uh, the human experimentation that happened uh, during in Nazi Germany before World War II? Uh, before World War II, no. Uh, I, one of the uh, scientific practices or research practices that Nazi Germany used, uh, and it was one of the big reasons why One of the big reasons why the Nazis are evil, of course, apart from killing Jews, is they would uh, hire, their government would hire doctors to conduct experiments on humans they saw as lesser. So they would find uh, the physically disabled or older human beings, older Germans, uh, or places that they started to capture, and they would do a human experimentation on them. Uh, One of the most popular or one of the most notorious is Dr. Joseph Mengele. That's his name. Uh, he is. Uh, he would do things like trying to surgically combine two people. Uh, one just that's one of the many terrible things he would try to figure out how pe- how to make people function without limbs. So he would remove their limbs. Uh, of course, all this would be done uh, without their consent. Uh, there's there's another really good Voyager episode that talks about like this kind of thing, uh, and I uh, I don't remember the name of the episode, but it, 
Ilana gets attacked by a, uh, a sentient uh, creature, and uh, but they don't know if the creature is sentient yet. Uh, but uh, they're trying to figure out how to remove the creature from Ilana. And so the doctor goes into a database and finds the best uh, the best doctor in uh, like a, the best Xeno doctor, like the best doctor that works with other life forms outside of their own. And they find a Cardassian doctor. And one of the Bajoran uh, ex-Maquis members on the Voyager recognizes the doctor as uh, the Cardassian doctor as one from one of the uh, Bajoran, uh, uh, Bajoran occupation that ran experiments on other on Bajoran prisoners. And he remembers his face because his father and brother were part of his experimentations. And that's when they tackle that kind of thing. But it also has such a good line in it by the Cardassian doctor. And uh, when he says that, like, well, Earth used to run all these scientific experiments on animals for uh Met for medical advancements, and then the doctor said, Yes, but not people. And the Cardassian said, It's convenient to draw a line between uh, higher and lower species, isn't it? And that's also what the Voyager uh, episode scientific method also tackles. It tackles how, uh, well, Janeway says that uh, Earth stopped doing those kind of experiments a long time ago, and I hope we do. <laughs> And uh, when the alien doctor mentions that uh, she knows about Earth history from watching over humans and knows that they used to run experiments on animals for scientific progress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that animal experimentation part because ethically we're you and I were both vegans and uh, there is definitely that kind of almost like a, a blindness and, and just a, an accepted air of like, Hey, we'll chickens, cows, pigs, we will eat them. And that's just how this is. Like, it's just, we don't care that they are sentient. We don't care that uh, they can remember things. We'll just continue to do this and you have to be okay with it. You know, uh, but I wish there was more of a, and it is getting better. I think there are more and more vegans uh, or people who are trying to eat less animals every day. But we are, we have a long way to go with something like that. Uh, and we have, we have lots of companies that do animal testing and we buy their products. You know, so in a way, we are paying for these tests. Uh, they're getting better about things like that. But uh, like a, I know a lot of beauty care products run tests on animals. Uh, a lot of um, medical products are run on animals. Like famously, everybody, everybody knows the trope of, hey, this was first tested on mice before it was uh, like it was bought to a human trial. And 
again, that's a gray area too, because there are some things where I don't know if it's necessary. Like, I don't know if the COVID-19 vaccine, I took the vaccine, uh, but I know there was animal experimentation done before it got to a human trial. And so I, the line to me is if it's something that's going to kill me, uh, I hate it. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it, but I accept the cost that comes for it. But things like food, uh, things like makeup, I don't wear makeup, of course, but I don't know what it's like for women. Uh, things like bathing, pro- essential, non-essential things. You know, though, at least those, I think we need to get to a society where we are not conducting tests on animals we know, or we're not building animals. Uh, we're not building millions and millions of ecosystems in which these animals are born and all they're done is there's an experiment and then they're, you know, they they die or they're released into the wild with that experiment done on them and it's wrong. And I think we, if we can go to the moon, I think we can figure out how to stop hurting animals for tests like this. Um, recently, we learned that uh, this is a news article on Veg News from two days ago, and it says EU votes for plan to phase out 10 million animals from testing labs. So it's getting better. People are learning more about it. Uh, I believe the one of the products I, I use, like I believe it's Dove, Dove uh, a couple of years ago went fully, uh, they're fully, all their products do not do any animal tests anymore. I forget what the term for it is, but I think it's goodwill tested or uh, animal friendly or something like that. But there's a there's an initiative that they've taken on. And uh, one of the things I do is when I buy things like soap or shampoo, I make sure that I'm supporting a company that doesn't do those kinds of tests. Okay. Similar with my clothes, because I, People don't know, but things like clothes also affect animals. Uh, but it's just, I don't know. I, I just think we need to get to a much better place of the testing that we're doing on animals. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it also tackled, like, what would happen if, like, like, there's been a lot of shows and movies that have tackled what could happen if animals fought back against these animal testing. But I think Voyager took it to a, a more relatable uh, kind of uh, idea because a lot of the times people, there's just some people that can't relate to things that don't that aren't human. And because an animal isn't human, they don't realize that the testing on that animal is harmful but when voyager tackles it it makes the human crew the uh the people that are experimented on it gets that kind of relatability to it that some people can realize oh that's that is what we're doing like yeah that's a great point i think there is uh Hopefully, one day we'll get a Trek story in which people are having experiments being conducted on them, but they cannot communicate with the people who are doing those experiments. I would like to see what Star Trek would do for an episode like that, you know? Yeah, it's a real shame because I I don't see it happening. Maybe it can happen in Strange New Worlds, 
because that is an episodic, um, that is planning to be episodic. And so they could tackle like an alien of the week thing in that show. But like Picard Discovery, they probably couldn't uh, handle that unless like the entire season was around that. And we already know the entire season, the entire next season, Picard is a time travel story. Uh, but, uh, and Lower Decks could probably tackle it, but they would add a comedic value to it. Yeah. How have you been enjoying the new shows, by the way? Well, I adore Lower Decks. I absolutely love Lower Decks. Uh, I like Picard a lot. And I like season three of Discovery. I hate season one and two of Discovery. I remember walking out mid-episode when we were having like a season one watch party of Discovery. I remember the exact moment I walked out of the room. But uh, Lower Decks, I love it. Picard, I really like it. Uh, Yeah. Okay, uh, and all good hope, all good vibes for Strange New Worlds. I hope, I, I just hope the best things for that show. And uh, I'm kind of bummed out that they just revealed their cast, but they didn't have uh, uh, our guest. I'm forgetting her name now, but she did an interview on Polytrex too. She was one of the uh, cast or supposed cast members in one of the short treks that they did for Strange New Worlds. Uh, I don't know if you saw that one, but it was in... Uh, it was an Indian character or, uh, or, or somebody who was in uh, off Indian origin, but they, that, I don't think that person is in the cast. So I hate that, but still all good vibes for strange new worlds. I'm sure it'll be awesome. Anyway, any more final thoughts before we end our episode uh, on diseases, Star Trek, just anything you want to share with our listeners who have not yet turned it off because we went on a weekend rant. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess just like Star Trek is, uh, has always been political and will always be political and some people just need to suck it up. Yeah. And if they want to know more about the politics of Star Trek, they should listen to Polytrex, which is a show that talks about the politics in Star Trek. Hey, uh, I have been Shashank, your co-host for today. You can find me on at gutter underscore hero on my Twitter. That's about the only social media I use. If you want to say something about our show, you can find us on at Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. If you're really mad at our show, you can tell our uh, network heads at Trek Geeks, that's T-R-E-K-G-E. KS. Uh, but if you enjoy this show, you can find tons more shows like the Trek Geeks podcast and a bunch of other shows that are doing great work. You can check them out on our Trek Geeks podcast network. Che, where can people find you if they want to talk to you and yell at you? Well, uh, I have an Instagram, uh, which is Chase Nail the Abomination. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that is also Chase Nail the Abomination. And I have a Tumblr that is also Chase Nail the Abomination. Uh, Don't you also have a Twitter? I do also have a Twitter, and that's just uh, Chase Nail Gay Boy. Uh, it's Chase Nail underscore Gay Boy, and the Y is an I, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. 
people can find us there. We'll of course tag him in our social media when we drop the episode. But Che, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I'm glad you could spend your Sunday morning with me. Uh, and ho- hopefully you'll come back and do more episodes with us because I really enjoyed having you. All right. Thank you, listeners. Uh, until next time, live long and prosper and onward to Star Sighting. This episode of Polytrex is sponsored by Fansets. Uh, use discount code Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S, to get a really nice fancy discount on your next order on fansets.com. Thank you.